You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit tvcresources.net. Good morning, church. My name is Krista Garcia, and I have the incredible privilege and honor of serving at the International Field Office of the 100 UPG Cooperative in Spain. And we would love to invite you um, to come by today to Suite 165. From 1230 to 230, we're going to be there, and we would really love the opportunity to share with you of how your support, how your prayers are um, helping the gospel go forth in Spain and to the least reached and unreached areas. Good morning, church. It's my privilege to be with you this morning. I'm Eduardo Garcia. I'm a church planter in Barcelona, Spain. And... Uh, I have the privilege to read the Bible in Spanish today. The text is Hebreos 12, or 12, del 5 al 13. Dice así la palabra de Dios. Además, habéis olvidado la exhortación que como a hijos se os dirige. Hijo mío, no tengas en poco la disciplina del Señor, ni te desanimes al ser reprendido por Él. Porque el Señor al que ama disciplina y azota a todo el que recibe por hijo. Es para vuestra corrección que sufrís. Dios os trata como hijos. porque qué? hijo hay a quien su padre no discipline? Pero si estáis sin disciplina, de la cual todos han sido hechos participantes, entonces sois hijos ilegítimos y no hijos verdaderos. Además, Tuvimos padres terrenales para disciplinarnos y los respetábamos. ¿Con cuánta más razón no estaremos sujetos al Padre de nuestros espíritus y viviremos? Porque ellos nos disciplinaban por pocos días como les parecía, pero Él nos disciplina para nuestro bien, para que participemos de su santidad. Al presente ninguna disciplina parece ser causa de gozo, sino de tristeza. Sin embargo, a los que han sido ejercitados por medio de ella, les da después fruto apacible de justicia. Por tanto, fortaleced las manos de los débiles y las rodillas que flaquean, y haced sendas derechas para vuestros pies, para que la pierna coja no se descoyunte, sino que se sane. Esta es la palabra del Señor. Hebrews 12, 5 through 13. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are legitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to this father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, 
but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weakness, your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. This is the word of the Lord. Hey guys, Pastor Matt, Ryan Kwong, Fremont, California, Uh, a dear friend of mine on the board of Acts 29, uh, one of the more gifted brothers I've ever been around, was at one point a competitive eater, an exceptional athlete, I think 30 knee surgeries or something like that, but has a booming, beautiful congregation of faith in the Bay Area. And, And I love time with this man. I glean wisdom from this man. Would you welcome to the stage Ryan Kwan. Well, good morning, Village. It is an absolute honor to just simply be here. If you've been in this church for over a year, I particularly want to encourage you and challenge you just to realize that this space is a very unique space, not just to you, but around the world that many look to you. And we're not talking about just Pastor Matt or Patterson or even Trevor Joy. We're not just talking about them only. We're talking about the body of Christ, the people that are gathered here in his name. And so we're looking at you, watching you, encouraged by you. And it is an honor for me to be here sharing the word of God with you today. Now, your pastor called me and said, hey, listen, we've been working on a diversity initiative and, and so we've had some old white guys preach here, some black dudes come here. We've even had some brown guys come through. But you know what? We haven't had much yellow dudes. And so, man, could you do me a big favor and give me Francis Chan's number? <laughs> um, Francis couldn't make it today, Um, but I I come in his stead. Now, whenever a guest speaker comes to our church, um, I always implore them that they would not preach their best sermons, but I ask them to simply preach on the topic that they are learning currently. And that's what I bring to you. I don't bring a sugar stick sermon. I bring to you a lesson that I'm currently learning. And what God is showing me these days is he is actually allowing me to go through some divine discipline. It's defined as hardship that God would allow us to go through, through his merciful hands, through his sovereign knowledge, so that we could gain something that we could not gain without them. And so he's allowing me to endure a very hard season. Maybe perhaps you come to this space today and you are in those seasons as well, that you are under divine discipline and you're rather confused, maybe disheartened, maybe even discouraged. And that's why I entitled this message, Sweet Discipline. Initially, it sounds like an oxymoron, like civil war or virtual reality. But the only reason why we think that is because we can't imagine discipline being sweet only because we have a a past experience that we kind of link discipline to, and it was awful. And yet what I want to do is to help you reframe the divine disciplines of God as a a divine act of love. Indeed, after all, the Bible says that God only disciplines those 
whom he loves. And therefore, if you are experiencing divine disciplines of the Lord, I want to convince you and encourage you that perhaps this is an incredible opportunity for us to be blessed by his affirmation of our Abba, Father. Now, this passage that we looked at today in Hebrews already, and we read, is about enduring hardship. Now, the book of Hebrews was written to Christians who were actually enduring hardship. They were brand new Christians, and they had this misguided thought that if they became Christians, all of their problems would go away. And indeed, it didn't. Hardship came, and they were spun. Problems came, and they were really confused. C.S. Lewis once said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. A bottle of port would do that. And yet, if you want a religion to make you feel comfortable, it certainly, I certainly wouldn't recommend Christianity. And likewise, the author of Hebrews encourages Christians not just to go avoid these hardships, but to actually endure hardship well. Now, the word endure here is scattered all throughout the section over this text. It is the Greek word hypomeno, which means to stand firm, hyperstand. No matter what the gale force wind of this life brings you, you are able to stand up firm, standing on the rock of Christ because he strengthens you and he gives you the kind of understanding that we need today. And the key to that ability of having this hyperstand is given in verse 5. And I want to give you the answers up front to you because I'm going to test you. You know that Asians love tests, right? Man, we love tests. Man, this is like, we're not tall, but we love tests. And... Listen, this is really important because after all, I'm not a Bijan or a Cesian. I'm an Asian, okay? <laughs> and if you didn't get that, um, you probably were a Dijan in high school. So, um, <laughs> so I'm going to give you the answer up front. So even Dijans have a chance to get this. Ready? The answer here as to how we could hyperstand in the verse 5, look, read that with me. It says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that address you as sons and daughters? And what God is saying here is that if we're going to stand through our hardship, if we're going to be able to be rock solid, you're going to have to remember that you are sons and daughters of a good, good God. That's what we need to remember today. And this good dad, I want to show you three facets of him. First, that he trains us. Second, he nurtures us. And third, he blesses us. See, if you're the note-taking type, here's the first point. Our God, our good dad, wisely trains us. He wisely trains us. Verse 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You know, the word trained here is the Greek word gymnazo, where we get the word gymnasium, and it kind of sounds like a coach or a trainer who says to all of us, you know, no pain, no gain. So you must go through some pain in order to experience gain. In fact, if you ever worked out with a trainer, their purpose is to actually take your body beyond the comfort level and to bring you about a, a kind of a benign pain so that your heart will race and, and you will start to sweat and your muscles will burn. 
all for the purpose of you and I getting more fit. And the trainer does it knowing your capacity, knowing your limits, even knowing your prior injuries because they know it all and they want to bring you to a part of a program where you will thrive and get fit. So say a coach programs a workout for you and gives that same program to a professional athlete. What would happen to that professional athlete? Well, their career would end because your programming for you would not be sufficient for a professional athlete. But what would happen if a professional athlete's program would be given to you? You would die. You, yeah, you would die. You will not survive. You'll lose your heartbeat. So your coach knows your workout, knows your body, and applies just right amount of hurt in order for you to no longer hurt in the future. Not too much, not too little. But say you didn't listen to your coach, but you only listened to your body. The impulses of your body, whatever your body wanted to do, you ate whatever your body said you wanted to eat, Cheetos and ice cream all day long lying on the couch, what would happen to your body? Well, your body will be frail and it will grow weak. So here's the point and the principle. Therefore, unless you hurt your body, you will hurt your body. Right? So you have to hurt your body. You have to create some resistance in order to achieve fitness. And so if a good trainer hurts your body to build you up, then the question is, what about our good dad, who is our ultimate trainer, who wants to allow you to experience some level of discomfort in order for you to be built up? But here are two obstacles to believing that. First obstacle for us is that we confuse his good intentions as punishments. Don't we do this all the time when God does something? And that we don't like, the immediate thing that we think through, we look to the past and say, why is he punishing me? Why is he doing the things that he's doing? Interestingly, when a gym coach asks you to rep out another rep, we never complain. Maybe you complain, but you never question their intention. You never say, you are evil. Why would you do this to me? No, you give the benefit of the doubt to every gym coach. And yet when God, our father, our Abba, asks to pull up another rev, we say, what are you doing to me? You don't love me anymore. You have lost the grand plan of my life. What are you doing? And so when hardships come, we immediately think that God is punishing us. Here's the second obstacle, that we confuse our loving father as a personal assistant. Now, this is a problem because say you're enjoying a donut and your gym coach who knows what diet you're supposed to be on knows that you shouldn't have that donut. You didn't hide it fast enough, so he takes it away. You're like, darn it, I've, I've been found. I've been discovered. But what happens when a personal assistant comes and takes your donut away? You're like, what's up with that? And you're radically offended by that because if anything, a personal assistant should bring you more donuts rather than take one from you, Right? And here's the point, the only way and the only reason why you and I are offended by God is that we don't see him as a good dad. We don't even see him as a good trainer. We see him actually as a personal assistant who should constantly give us donuts. Listen, has God taken your donut away in this season? Maybe you're experiencing some hardship. Maybe some bad news have come. Maybe you are experiencing a particular tragedy. Maybe illness of sorts. Maybe you didn't get that job. Maybe you didn't get into that college. Whatever it is, listen, he knows exactly how much weight you should carry. Not too much, 
not too little. Do you know why? Because he's a good dad. He's a good, good dad. And you and I need to believe that today. But here's the second thing. Our good dad lovingly nurtures us. He doesn't just train us. He nurtures us. And this is important because it's not enough for us to see him only as a trainer. Because when we do and we think of him as a drill sergeant, then it's easy to fall into stoicism rather than Christianity. Listen, there's a motto that my family lives under, and it kind of goes like this. If you suck at something, do it a thousand times, and you'll suck less. <laughs> I, I teach my kids this all the time. But listen, that model, living up to it, will not be enough for them to hyperstand. And they not only need to see me as a trainer for their life, but they need to see me as their nurturing dad. And this is exactly whom we have in our Lord, our Abba Father. Look at verse 5. As we look, would you, would you put into the framework that you are his children and he is a good dad? Verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the, his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. You see, the word discipline here is used nine times in this small section alone. That is the Greek word paideuo, where we get the word pediatrician, which means to nurture children. Now, why would he nurture us like this? Verse 10 shows us, for our parents disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. Now, there it is. He wants us to be holy. How? Well, I'll tell you how. He applies in our lives benign pain, applied under controlled conditions so that you might not, uh, you may avoid greater catastrophic pain later. And this is the, this is the dad's job, isn't it? That my job as a dad is to bring about a controlled amount of pain, benign pain, all out of love to my children so that they might avoid catastrophic pain later. Let me give you an example of something that we do in our home. See, in the Kwan household, um, lying is a big, big deal for our family, not just because it's immoral, but really lying creates a destructive pattern in the future that will actually destroy lives. So when my kids go to school and get into fights or maybe they steal something that is not theirs, they get a three-minute talk from me. But if, that, if I catch them lying, then they get a three-hour talk from me. And the worst thing in the world is to get a three-hour conversation from an Asian dad. That is the worst. <laughs> and they get that from me. Why? Because, listen, this is my rationale. Because when you lie, you live out of a false identity which makes it impossible for you to be known then because you're living in a lie. And when you do that, you are forfeiting the one thing that your soul will constantly thrive, I mean, crave for the rest of your life, which is to be known and yet still be loved. And so when you live in a lie, all the relationship now you have, when people love you, you ultimately know that they're not loving the real you, but they're loving the fake you. 
And when you believe that, all the relationships around you, including the relationship with God, you know that they're all fabricated. They're all lies. And so you eventually look at God and say, you don't love me for me. And you believe you have to constantly live in a lie for you to get God to love you. And when you do that, then what's happening in your life is that you're creating a resistance to the gospel. The very gospel that says, I love you for you. I set my son for you. And when you lie, you'll say, no, you didn't. You'll essentially make a lie out of God's love. That's why it's so dangerous. And this is what I explain to my children. And so that's why I'm like, I'm going to have to apply some benign discipline so you're grounded. Or we say these days, you're quarantined. Oh, never mind. I don't know. This is, you're texting. You don't know what quarantining is. You know what I mean? Like, I'm from California. I'm in Texas. Quarantining is when you, no. Now, here's the challenge, right? How do you know if you are disciplining too much or too little? And that is a challenge for parents, isn't it? When, when you think, well, like, was it too much or was it too little? Well, do you know if your discipline is hurting or maybe harming? To give good and perfect discipline requires incredible wisdom, doesn't it? Because when you discipline too little, your children will dismiss it, taking it too lightly. They won't learn from it. And that's why verse 5 here says, my son, do not regard lightly the disciplines of the Lord. But on the other side, the flip end, if you discipline too much, not only will they dismiss it, they'll be dismayed by it meaning that they'll be crushed by it. And that's why the other half of the verse says, nor be weary when reproved by him. What balance, right? Do it wisely because if it's too little, your children will uh, dismiss it, shrug it off, and not learn anything from it. If you do it too much, you will actually crush them and destroy them. And the Hebrew author absolutely knew the tension of this, And while our earthly parents constantly struggle with disciplining too much because we discipline out of anger and frustration and inconvenience they caused us from their sin, or we discipline too little out of our insecurity to say, I don't want you to hate me. I want you to always love me. And so we we have a hard time balancing that. But do you know who doesn't have a hard time balancing that? Our Heavenly Father. Because he's a perfect dad. And he knows exactly what we need. Not only does he train us, but he nurtures us. Verse 10, for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. So you see, when God disciplines us, it's never too much. It's never too little. It's always creating a divine and ordained pathway towards our intimacy with him. That's what discipline is. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you met families where they never discipline their children? Have you met? You know, like the neighbor sitting next to you, they never discipline. (laughs) Their, Their kids are spoiled rotten, right? I mean, they never say no to their children. I'm not sure what the culture is. I kinda know. But in California, we have a lot of tree huggers. You know what they are? Man, we're just so loosey goosey about this stuff. We're so sensitive to the needs of our kids. Man, we never like to say no to people, and so especially our children. Man, I went to, at a restaurant recently, and a child that I know was like throwing a crazy fit. And it wasn't just like this child was having a bad day. Uh, this child was volitionally disobeying the parents by throwing food off the table and looking at mom and saying, 
And doing that kind of business, I'm like, oh my gosh, is that Asia? I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't hit other kids. I'm in America. And this mother, this mother goes, oh, Ian, thank you for expressing your needs and your feelings. I mean, we'll call him Ian because that's his real name, but um, <laughs> thank you for expressing your frustration to mom. Thank you. And I was like, boiling over. Why? And the reason why you're laughing, the reason why you're boiling is the formula to wrecking and ruining a child is to give that child everything they want, right? Then why would you demand the same thing from your heavenly father? Yeah, I got you, didn't I? (laughs) Right. We demand everything from our father to say, just be a yes man. Just never deny the request that I ever make of you because I know best. Instead of, Lord, you choose for me because you know best. Because you're never too strong. You're never too weak. You're perfect, Dad, to me. And you always give me what I need. In fact, John Newton said, everything is necessary that he sends. Nothing can be necessary that he withholds. Why? Because he's good. And he's a nurturing father. And we are his beloved child. And so if you are enduring hardship, you must remember a couple things. Number one, you must remember that you are his children, which means children never understand fully all the motive and all the heart of the parent. You'll never get that, right? There's not a child in this country that gets disciplined and say, hey, you're going to be grounded for a week. I love you. Or I'm going to take your phone for a month for your good. And they say, Thank you, Dad. That was an amazing discipline. Said no child ever, amen? Not a a single child would ever say that. In the same way, when we are disciplined by our loving and all-knowing Father, we will always, because we are his children, think that he's being too harsh with us. But the reality is he's not. And you're going to have to remember while you're going through that hardship to say, I'm going to have to remember that I am his child. And because I'm his child, I'll never fully understand all the motive and everything behind why he does what he, do, what he does, because he's my Abba Father. At the same time, you must remember that our Father disciplines us for our good and not retribution. He'll never discipline us out of retribution. You need to say to him, Father, I know that earthly dads sometimes discipline us Because they're hurt, they're mad, and they want to pay back, but you don't. Because you sent our older brother, and he paid all the debt that I ever owe. And Father, you are a good dad, and you are a righteous dad. And because my brother already paid every way for me, if you were to actually make me pay, that's actually making two payments, which you would not do because you are righteous and you are good. And therefore, whatever I am experiencing today cannot be out of retribution. It cannot be out of condemnation. It cannot be out of revenge. But that all the things that I'm receiving now only could be because it is for my good and for your glory alone alone can you preach to yourself like that you must when you're going through hardship Theodore Leitch the Old Testament scholar says this 
He says his plans concerning his children are always thoughts of good, a blessing. Even if he's obliged to use the rod, it is the rod not of wrath, but the father's wrath of chastisement for their temporal and eternal welfare. There is not a single item of evil in his plans for his people, neither in their motive, neither, nor in their conception, nor in their revelation, nor in their consummation. Do you see, our God is a good dad, and you and I are his beloved. And if you're going ha- to learn to hyperstand through whatever circumstances that you are going through, you're going to have to learn to argue with your own heart like that. So first, he trains us. Secondly, he nurtures us like a good dad. But third, he blesses us, extravagantly blesses us. And this text that we just read, it's just riddled with his blessings. And I'm just going to mention five here. First, he blesses us through security. Did you see this? Do you know that discipline is actually a sign that we are his covenant children? Look at verse 7 with me. It says, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And this verse says discipline is actually a sign that you are his legit child, that you are heir to his kingdom because he doesn't withhold discipline to those he loves. What an incredible assurance. But secondly, he blesses us through abundance. Verse 9, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? Now here he's presenting an argument from lesser to greater. As to say, our parents, when they did things for our good, now we look back as grown people and say, I'm so glad that my parents made me do that, like go to school (laughs) or take swim lessons or that violin lesson that amazing sister played today. I mean, weren't you glad for that? Man, she was made to play that thing, right? I mean, aren't you glad when we look back that how much more should we look at our father and say, you are good as much as we're giving kudos and props to our parents, then you deserve all glory, Father, because you know what you're doing. So he blesses us through abundance. But third, he blesses us through sanctification. Verse 10, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Now, do you know that God has one goal for discipline? That is to make you and I holy, to make you like him, and that you and I will partake in his divine nature by becoming holy ourselves. In fact, Jonathan Edwards, he says about holiness this, they are holy by being made partakers of God's holiness. The saints are then beautiful and blessed by communication of God's holiness and joy as the moon and the planets are bright by the sun's light. The saints have spiritual joy and pleasure by a kind of effusion of God on the soul. Do you know in some sense, the holiest people that you know that are in this room are the people that have endured God's disciplines well. Are you willing to for the sake of holiness? Elizabeth Elliot adds, God will not protect you from anything that will make you more like Jesus. I hope that's true of me. 
Fourth, he blesses us through healing. Verse 12, therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Let me just give you a contextualization to the modern times. Notice this is a picture of a physical therapist working with a resistant patient. A patient who says, ow, 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 ow. Like, this is for your good. So every physical therapist session involves some level of discomfort. And so they do that not to hurt you, but to eventually heal you. And this is why as you leave that office after paying hundreds of dollars, they'll give you a little ghetto piece of paper with some stick figure on it to say, do this at home. And to the degree that you do that at home is to the same degree that you actually expedite your healing. To, to not do those exercises at home is to delay your healing. In the same way here, God is calling us to do the hard thing by obeying his commandments even when things are hard. But listen, the number one thing that destroys Christians in the midst of hardship is not the hardship itself. It's actually self-pity. You know the kind of self-pity that actually licks your own wounds? You know, the self-pity that gives license to bad things just to console yourself, like eating a bunch of ice cream, binge-watching on TV, saying, I deserve it, I need it, I don't care, eventually lead to different degrees of sin with just catastrophic results. You'll cheat on people, and you'll lie, and you'll stop coming to church and fall out of fellowship. But you see, this kind of disobedience is a recipe for greater pain. And one of the best and the greatest, greatest um, um, benefits of obedience in your hardship is so that you could heal, that you get stretched out so that you could actually heal. And let me just pause right now to give you a specific challenge for today. Um, some of you need to be baptized. There are people right now that are enduring hardship and you've resisted getting baptized or even saying yes to the Lord. And could I just encourage you there's not a better time for you to obey the Lord than today. And here's the reason why. Maybe there's been times in the past where you were more motivated to be faithful, and that displayed a different kind of faith. But today, when you are struggling, and when you are enduring hardship, and you pause to say, God, now I'm not bringing you my faithfulness and obedience because I want to, but I'm bringing my faithfulness and obedience because I just want to trust you. And I want to trust you and submit my entire life to you, Christ. So when you do that, in a sense, your faith will mean more to you and to him as you say yes to Jesus today. Some of you need to say yes to Jesus and get in the water. Amen. Lastly, God blesses us through Jesus. You know, the beginning of this passage, verse 1, it says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. In other words, this text is saying, if you want to make it through your hardship, you must look at Jesus. You must fix your eyes on Jesus on the cross. But don't just look at the cross. You must look through the cross. Because when you just look at the cross, you'll see great tragedy and suffering. <laughs> 
But when you look through the cross, you'll see the fruit of the cross and an immense blessing that comes as a result of his suffering. So on the cross, God treated Jesus as if he had committed every sin ever committed by every person who would ever believe, even though he did not commit a single sin. In short, God treated his own son as if he had committed all those sins. He treated his son as if he had lived your life so that God can now treat us as if we had lived Jesus's life. That's an amazing, amazing blessing. And that's the kind of fruit of the cross that you get to celebrate. That it is a result of his suffering. So would you look at Jesus saying to you today, in my suffering, I gave up my glory for you. So in your current suffering, would you give up your idols for me? That in my suffering, I was cut off from the Father so that in your suffering, you could draw near to the Father. That in my suffering, I looked at you. So in your suffering, would you look at me? Our father is a good, good dad. And Jesus' actions were not fully independent from the Trinitarian heart. Because most of us know what John 3.16 says, but do you know what John 3.17 says? It is God, the Father sending his only begotten son. He sent him for you and me. He's a good, good dad. Would you trust him today? Let's pray. Father, we need your Holy Spirit's help. Far beyond the words that we've heard today through a fallen man, we need the Holy Spirit to preach a better sermon than the one that we've heard. We need your Holy Spirit to convince us that you are a dad who trains us for our goodness, that you're a dad who nurtures us for our thriving, that you are a good dad who blesses us for your glory. Help us to understand that as we endure through these trials, through the divine discipline that you give us. It's never too harsh, it's never too light, but it's always perfect. Will you, Lord, give us the faith today to believe that and to see you and to celebrate you as a good, good dad who sent his son on our behalf to die for us. So we say, no matter what our hearts may feel, today we say, we love you and we thank you and we serve you and surrender to you. And it is in your son's precious name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen.